She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. Oh, hello. Welcome to Damn Fine Podcast. My name is Tom Merritt, and I'm alongside with Ron Richards here. How are you doing, Ron? Well, hello, Tom. How's it going? We're doing well because we are excited for the return of Twin Peaks to television. And in anticipation of that, Ron and I have decided that we are going to rewatch, not for the first time for either of us, all the episodes of Twin Peaks and do this thing called podcasting about them. <laughs> it's going to be a uh, an adventure in reliving the magic of one of our favorite TV shows and sharing it with you all the while. And if we time this right, hopefully leading up to the release of the next season of Twin Peaks, which is supposed to be coming out uh, in 2017. Yeah, 2017. Okay, first of all, before we get into uh, the rest of that, just just one quick question. Over under on it actually coming out in 2017. Honestly, I'll, I'm going to give it even. It's going to be 50 50. I do. You know, 50, I, 50. I would right. not be surprised if for some reason something goes wrong and all of our, all of the press, all of the internet chatter, everything I've heard from insiders in, in Hollywood uh, is aiming at spring, April, May ish of next year. But uh, like anything in this world, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit about us, uh, just in case you're not familiar. um, We are both huge Twin Peaks fans, and that's all you need to know. No, um, (laughs) I'm a podcaster from way back. I've been podcasting since 2005. I've done shows for CNET, like Buzz Out Loud. I've done shows for Twit, like Tech News Today. And I currently do a daily tech news show, which is what it sounds like, a show called Current Geek that's just about geeky topics of the week, a show called Sword and Laser about science fiction and fantasy books, a show called Cord Killers, which is about TV and movies with a guy who doesn't like Twin Peaks very much, Brian Brushwood, <laughs> which is why I'm thankful that Ron is here to uh, let me do this show with him. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the mirror universe, Brian Brushwood. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, no, but li- exactly. likewise, likewise, I've been podcasting since 2005 as well. I started with uh, iFanboy, which is a podcast I do with two of my co-hosts, uh, about comic books uh, and then from there I did some stuff for Revision 3 which is now Discovery Networks I, I currently co- uh, co-host a show for Twit called All About Android um, and previously uh, earlier earlier this year and last year I did a podcast called Goodfellas Minute uh, which Tom you were a guest on and uh, where we talk, where we analyzed the movie Goodfellas and that is completely available you can go to goodfellasminute.com and listen to it it's still there uh, but that actually gave me my first taste of of reviewing a past bit of media in, in the form of a movie and really revisiting it and watching it with, you know, kind of more wiser eyes. Um, and that kind of, you know, f- fed my excitement to do this podcast, which, Tom, we could share with the audience, has been, in the, has been literally years in the making. Yeah, I yeah, mean, no, it, we have spared no expense. It, it was, was it three or four years ago at this point? Yeah, when 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 was the actual first announcement that this was coming back? It was within a day of that that yeah. we were we were talking to each other. And actually, I could look up what day I registered the domain name, and yeah. that'll probably tell because, us. Because yeah, because so, so the the, the October thirteenth, twenty fourteen. Yeah, so there it is. So so two years ago. Wow, feels like longer. Uh, yeah, no, we we happened to we we happened to be in New York City at the same time. We had a lovely dinner, uh, and we were talking about Twin Peaks. And you'd mentioned you'd registered the domain name. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I would love to do a podcast about Twin Peaks. And you said, well, let's do it. And so I said, yeah. okay. So this is, 
now finally here we are. So, <laughs> and and we you know a good. First of all, this is going to be a little bit of a weird podcast because it's yeah. really setting up being able to talk about a new show, right. a show that nobody has watched. But we have to, uh, or we don't have to, but we decided to because it's fun, uh, go back and look at the show's history. And we'll, we'll do all of the TV episodes as well as the movie, Firewalk With Me. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be a review show until suddenly one day we're not, whenever that <laughs> fine day comes. Uh, and and with any kind of anthology podcast like this you probably want to go into the history of the show a little my guess is that those of you listening to this who have decided like hey in anticipation of a show that's not out yet i'm going to listen to two guys talk about a show uh, that i love we assume that most of you know the 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 main history of this show Right, and and that anybody listening to this now is probably familiar with Twin Peaks. Although, if you've never watched it or you've never enjoyed it before, this could be a good way for you to enjoy it. Start at the beginning with us, listen to our analysis, um, and then when the new series starts, we'll be here to discuss it together. So what are the essential things that anybody needs to know, or even old fans just need to be reminded of? Uh, it, it went on the air April 8th. Uh, 1990, right? Correct, yeah. So it premiered April 8th, 1990. It had been in development since about 1998. Uh, I'm sorry, 1988, when David Lynch and Mark Frost, actually during the writer's strike in the late 80s, had uh, spoken to the head of ABC at the time and said, you know, we've got this idea to do a murder mystery that's really, uh, that, that's a combination murder mystery soap opera. Uh, and at the time, David Lynch was, you know, known as a film director. I don't believe he's done. He had done much TV at that point. I could be wrong, uh, but he had done. You know, he did the Dune movie adaptation. He did Eraserhead. Oh, really? You're going to start with Dune with poor David Lynch? <laughs> he didn't even put his name on it. <laughs> right, he's most famous for the Dune movie that he didn't want anyone to know he did. <laughs> Well, he had he had this reputation as a. Uh, I was think, I was like, oh, Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, Eraserhead. <laughs> I, I was actually looking up to see, did Wild Heart at Heart had it come out yet? And you went right to Dune. I poor, went right to Dune. Dune. I'm sorry. So at this point, yes. <laughs> Wild at Heart came out in 1990, the same year as, as Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so at this point, he had done Blue Velvet, he had done Dune, Elephant Man, Razorhead. Those are the ones he was most well known for. Never worked in TV up to uh, that point. Um, he wrote one episode of a miniseries, The French Has Seen By, and that's it. Um, so, you know, the, this, this idea of this auteur director doing this TV show uh, was of some interest. Um, and then uh, when they pitched it to ABC to finally start doing it, they came back with an extraordinary budget of well over a million. <laughs> I've heard varying numbers of the budget behind the, pr- the production of the, first, of the pilot episode. I've heard everywhere from uh, $1.1 million to $3.8 million, which in 1989 dollars is a lot. Um, and and, and before, we, before we get into the episode, because there's some interesting things about the episode in particular, the fact that there's actually multiple versions of it uh, – the it was a phenomenon at the time it was it was something that was a cult hit from the beginning i was in college at the time and i heard about it from a guy i worked with at a radio station named mark mauer who was telling who was telling someone else like well and then there's bobby and the log lady and i was listening and like what are you talking about it's like a tv show it's a tv show you have to watch it so they they caught me up with their videotapes <laughs> that they had recorded of the episodes. Uh, and I actually think I had missed most of the pilot. I don't think anyone had a recording of it. So I just had to know going in fresh that first time 
from word of mouth what had happened. So you had to ca- uh, you had to catch up. That's interesting because I, yeah. on the other hand, so it was Sunday, April eighth, nineteen ninety. I watched it from the get go. I now at now at that time I'm going to date myself here, but I was maybe in seventh grade. Se- that sounds about right, seventh or eighth grade, um, and. And your parents were okay with you watching this because well, this was a little bit of a controversial show. I don't think they knew. And what happened? They just was, didn't know. Okay. And what happened was is that I and this is I'm and one of the things we're going to talk about is the fact that this is a show that was done 26 years ago. So there's going to be a lot of uh, oh, it's so funny. This is how they did things back then. But um, to 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 that point, I watched that show in my computer room while I must have been playing King's Quest or Space Quest or some game. (laughs) And in that computer room, there was an old Zenith black and white TV with rabbit ears. And the only channel I could get on it was ABC because on Long Island, I could pick up the new uh, WTNH in New Haven, which is the ABC affiliate in Connecticut across the, the Long Island Sound. And huh. so I, there was a series of years where I only watched ABC shows. Because it's all you were loyal because you couldn't be anything but loyal. <laughs> exactly. Now think about the world we live in now where you can just download and stream and all this stuff. I was limited to one channel. So at the time, I was watching The Young Riders. I was watching 30-something. I was and you had to show up. It was appointment viewing for you. Yeah, you exactly. had to show up and watch it, which it became for me. But I was actually yeah. first exposed to it with the ability to uh, you know, adjust the tracking and, yeah. fast, and fast forward through the commercials. And and I and I remember watching the, the pilot. It, which is a two-hour movie because it was an event. It was the Sunday night. It was the yeah, thing, that, yeah. thing that happened. And I remember in my 13-year-old mind, it's like stopping what I was doing on the computer and just sitting there watching it. Keep in mind in black and white, which I feel like is very Lynchian and, and was the way to do it. But um, I remember about halfway through just going, what is this? And yeah. from that point on, I was hooked. I was I, I never missed an episode. I was taping it. I was I, I, I was the one evangelizing at school the next day. Everyone's gonna watch this and I got a small group of people who are watching it. So like my love affair of Twin Peaks was from April eighth, nineteen ninety, straight onwards. Um and and we'll I'll re, we can revisit this uh, as we go through the series because there's a couple of points in the show that are that uh, parallels to life, which I think are fun to talk about. But so yeah. Yeah, we're 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 gonna get right into the episode here in a second, but yeah. just just to put a dot on the overview view of the show uh eight episodes in the first season uh and then it was brought back for a second season which was the only season it was brought back for until 2017 ish supposedly supposedly (laughs) uh it was uh it was a you know it was a April premiere. So this was not a, you know, a fall premiere for this thing. Uh, but it got enough word of mouth and enough buzz that, that like, like many people, I came back raring to go for season two. However, I did, I did have a hard time keeping up with it because at the time I was in college and I was, my schedule was all over the place. I feel like I really fell in love with it the most when I rewatched it a couple of years later. In 1992, I think I just went back. Uh, I was dating a girl at the time who had all of them uh, recorded, and we just we just binged before binging was a thing, uh, and watched all the Twin Peaks. And that's when I really like put all the things together and saw all the underlying. Like I liked the weirdness of it, but it wasn't until I rewatched it that I started putting things together. And then I rewatched it again recently, two years ago, 2014, after they announced that they were going to bring it back to Showtime. And then of course now we're rewatching it again. Uh, and I think I've watched it on and off other times in between there. But as you were pointing out, Ron, even this many times rewatching, 
still you still notice things. There's still little pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've watched it. So I watched it when it was originally on. And then I, I don't remember. It probably wasn't until college in like 95, 96 when they released um, the TV show minus this pilot episode in VHS. And you remember it came in a VHS uh, like a box set. And each tape, uh, the side, the side art of the VHS tape. If you put them all together, it's spelled Twin Peaks. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I remember that. It was so infuriating they didn't have the pilot episode. Yeah, in. well, yeah. That, well, that's another thing we'll we'll talk about after we talk about the whole show um, about the, when we recap the episode. But um, yeah, so I watched that again at college, and then for years it, it ran on reruns on Bravo. And then it went away, uh, probably like around 2000 or so. And then it wasn't until 2007 when they came out with a with a grand DVD release, and where we got the pilot episode restored. And that's the version that I bought that, and then I bought the Blu-ray version, and yeah. So and then now we announced on Netflix, and it's kind of this pristine, wonderful thing that you can go back and revisit. And um, CBS owns it now. CBS, yeah. CBS was the production because they produced it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, and, uh, interesting thing before we get into the show was that when. When it was originally pitched, uh, when it was originally conceived by David Lynch and his uh, partner on it, Mark Frost, uh, it was originally called Northwest Passage and was going to be set in North Dakota. Huh. Uh, but they they changed the name when they found out that there actually is a town called Northwest Passage and they didn't want to tie anything to it. Um, and I think that's interesting also because at the time in, in this world of TV in 1990, um, the, the show Northern Exposure – uh, yeah, was a huge hit, and I remember that that premiered in 1990 as well, and that took place in Alaska, I think, right? Yeah, and so you had Northern Exposure running on CBS, and I remember when Twin Peaks came, I'm like, oh, it's another show like Northern Exposure, and it couldn't been any di- any more different. <laughs> yeah, shot in the same area yeah. of Washington, yeah. uh, and that so Snoqualmie Falls, yep. uh, Rosslyn, they're all right near each other. But um, I've actually taken a little bit of a tour through there. I yep. stayed a night in the uh, Great Northern, the Snoqu- Snoqualmie, and I went to a wedding. Yeah. There. I went to a wedding there once. It didn't so, look anything like the great. It looks, but it looks great on the outside. Like you, the fact that yeah. they, they they shot a lot of the they shot a lot of the exterior shots and the buildings up in Snoqualmie and Issaquah and like other areas up there up by Seattle. Um, and then the majority of the production was done in L.A. where they built the sets in, in inside, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but to this day, you can go up to Seattle. It's maybe like a half an hour east of Seattle, and you can go to these iconic spots that really haven't changed. Uh, yeah, which is kind of amazing when you think about it, considering how the world, you know, like I've, I've, like when I did the Goodfellas podcast, there's a lot of spots here in New York where they shot Goodfellas, and it's completely different now because it's changed over so many times. But one of the things I'm told, and I don't know if this is still true, but that the Marti Cafe, yep. uh, which is the Double R Diner in the show, actually started having good pie later. Yes, after the show was off the air. Yes. Like, they they had crappy pie. Yeah, well, I, I ate there a couple of years ago, and the, the pie was all right. Uh, the inside looks nothing like it does in the show, and honestly, it was kind of shitty. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, let's get to the pilot episode. It's not episode one; it's the pilot episode. Yep. Uh, and and should we start with the multiple versions? Uh, yeah, let's let's touch on that. I think I think that's important. There are there was a version put out that wraps up the story. Yeah, and. 
I have heard many different things about why. Uh, one of the things that is true is they released it in other markets as a standalone movie. Yep. Um, and and that seems to be the most credible one. Have you heard multiple theories on that? Yeah, the, 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 the story that I've heard the most and I've read the most, and there's a couple of oral histories I've read and a bunch of books on Twin Peaks and stuff that I've read. And uh, apparently because the cost was so absor- ex- exorbitant on the pilot production, part of the deal was that they would also shoot uh, an ending so that they could wrap it up as a movie to then distribute in Europe. Yeah, and, and, and this was similar to what Battlestar Galactica had done to yeah. get going on the air. Yeah, and so and so that is why after, I don't know, I, the one thing I'm not sure, and I'm sure the internet can tell me, I just didn't look it up, but uh, when the European movie was released, if it was after the show was off the air or not, or was at the same time, but like we mentioned earlier, for due to rights issues and pro, and conflicts, after the show went off the air, you could not get this pilot episode in its pure format. And in fact, it, it, like I mentioned earlier in that VHS set, it started at episode one. It didn't include the pilot. So you're missing a huge chunk of setting the stage and all that sort of stuff. And the only way you could do it would be to get the movie, ver- the European movie version, either through an official release or a bootleg or something like that. And then you just have to stop watching at about 90 minutes into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have this tacked on en- ending that yeah. had Bob as a real person, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And and it, and that's why in the pilot episode you see the one our man in the elevator briefly. It's because he then becomes a piece of the ending, um, which is I find fascinating. But yeah, so it wasn't until 2007 when the DVD came out finally that they restored the pilot to the collection. You could watch it in its original broadcast way here. So I call that the ten speed and brown shoe effect. <laughs> Uh, because <laughs> the uh, the hit series Ten Speed and Brown Shoe, uh, with uh, uh, about a detective and a guy on a bicycle, uh, does not have the pilot on the DVD to this day. <laughs> wow. Because uh, I believe CBS owns the rights to the pilot, and a different production company owns the rights to the episodes. So wow. they can't they can't sync up on that. It's funny how funny how that works. But yeah, so Sad so, that, but true. so that, yeah, so if we were doing this podcast. In 2002, well, first, we'd be the first podcast ever, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, ha, take that! <laughs> but you'd be in a world where you couldn't watch the pilot. Luckily enough, now on Netflix that the, and, and on the DVD set, you can get to the pilot and see the original broadcast version. So, Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, what, what, uh, were the, what were the other reasons that, that you had heard that, for, for that? I had always heard it was for it was the recoup cost and to release it in Europe. Well, the recoup cost was one of them, yeah. uh, and and the other was that they were worried it wouldn't uh, they they wouldn't be able to air the rest of the episodes, and so they wanted to to have a way to to put up a, a standalone. Oh, um, but I I think the recoup cost and release makes most sense to me because again, Battlestar Galactica had sort of paved that way by releasing it a, the their pilot episode as a movie in Canada, yeah. places like that. It is a little weird though. But Battlestar Galactica released their episode as it as it aired as the movie of the week. Right. Uh, and and it was fine. Twin Peaks sort of because it was a mystery, you couldn't release a movie and not solve the mystery. So they yeah. were in a little bit of a pickle there. <laughs> Strange, but yeah. So so that kind of leads into what the show was about. And the 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 first episode lays out the the mystery, which is a murder, which became a national you know kind of uh, obsession uh, as as uh, in entertainment everybody wanted to know who killed Laura Palmer who shot JR uh, yeah, who, who killed yeah. Laura Palmer exactly. yeah exactly that became it's right that, up there that became such a huge you know question after this first episode um, but what i love about this pilot and what i love about this show is that the murder is the main a plot 
but it is really just the cover for it's an excuse for you to go into the world of these characters. And that's where the real meat of the episode is. Yeah. So, uh, the small town of twin peaks, Washington is rocked when, uh, She's dead, wrapped in plastic. <laughs> Laura Palmer washes up on a riverbank. Uh, in in the description I'm reading here, they they go right into FBI agent Dale Cooper being called in, but he doesn't really come in until halfway through the episode. Yeah, about thir- I think I think minute thirty six. I think was the 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 first moment. Okay, that so like yeah. first yeah. third, you get yeah. first third of the episode. Yeah. Um, and it, you know it is a small town. Unstuck in time. So, you know, uh, Bobby looks like a greaser and drives an old car and everybody's kind of this timeless 50s, but could still be current in the 90s look to them. Uh, And everyone's rocked by Laura's death and it's announced at school and there's mystery about what she was into and uh, and why she had disappeared the night before. And there we're introduced to the love triangle where she was Bobby's girlfriend, but she was hanging out with James and her best friend Donna, who was also cheating on Michael, possibly with, you know, (laughs) and and so it's it's immediate soap opera on top of the mystery. Yeah. And and what I think is what I think is great about it is that how this pilot um, slowly it's almost like an opening flower in terms of that it it slowly introduces you to not only the characters in the world but all the crisscrossing and all the relationships where by the end of the the first hour and a half you need a scorecard to keep track of what of, of all the different plot lines that are going on. Yeah, um, and I I never actually realized just just how much is in here. Yep. Uh, I, I think I, I noticed it the last time I viewed it before last night, but, but even last night it was like, all right, fire walk with me. That name of the movie comes up right away in yep. that first episode. Uh, you, you are introduced to all of the love triangles, like all, all of even big Ed and, 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 and his, yeah. And Norma, like, it's all in there and and you even get the quirky donut scene like i think of the donut scene as something that came later on as you're developing the character but it's it's right in there and made me act, absolutely want to go get donuts today. And I, <laughs> well, persistent. it's funny. Well, it's funny because as as uh, Twin Peaks fans might recognize, the name of the show as a damn fine podcast is 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 after the quote of a damn fine cup of coffee, which doesn't occur in this episode. Like that's a later. No, he says. Yeah. What does he say? He says something about the coffee and pie yep. at the lamplighter inn. But uh, he doesn't say that's a damn fine cup of coffee. Doesn't so. quite come right out with that. So we we're saved that for a little while. Yeah. We do hear about um, Teresa Banks, yes, though. Another fire walk with me yep. connection there. Well, yeah. So so I I think uh, I I don't want to before we get too into the into the recap of the synopsis. I want to uh, pause on the opening credits. Because the opening credits are two minutes and forty eight seconds long, are they that long? Wow! Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. So this is the, the standard opening credits that we'll get in every episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, so th- this is the be- this is the this is the this the, is the movie credit. This is the movie credits. Admittedly, it does get shorter. They do wrap it. They do you know kind of speed it up when the show starts. But it's still, and I'm going to time it when we get into that to just to keep track of the length of it. Um, but uh, you got a, th- a theme song by Angelo Badalamenti, who is a composer that David Lynch has worked with much in, the, in uh, a lot in the past. Um, this really sweeping, spooky uh, 
kind of you know haunting song, um, which was one of the reasons why I fell in love with the show from, from, right from the get go. Because it was one of those things where I looked at it with these like slow shots of a sawmill and wood being cut and just a street and the waterfall and just like all this really atmospheric kind of feeling and it just goes on forever for three minutes but it 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 does that for a reason because it it transports you to where you are in the show and i think that the you know we we now live in a time where really i think the netflix marvel shows are the only shows with real opening credits um which i get sick of after binging for five six episodes in a row um but we the opening credits is an art that have gone away and uh i'm kind of sad because you don't get things like this which would serve a purpose yeah, I, I feel like it might be making a little bit of a comeback, which is a topic for another time. Yeah. Uh, be- and, and because of HBO and Netflix, where they're like, we don't have to cut for time, so we can indulge in that. My, my, my reaction is interesting because I didn't realize it was that long this time. Yep. And I did re- remember it being longer than normal last time. <laughs> but I, I feel like this time I was... I was more accepting of like, yeah, no, I need you to bring me back into this universe, yeah. right? Like, I need that transportation time. And we're talking about a time where, you know, little Ron Richards in uh, <laughs> in New York uh, had to run upstairs to his black and white TV. So yeah. that kind of thing is necessary to make sure like everybody settles in and gets gets ready to watch before the action begins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but but they but David Lynch brought a level of art to it, which I think yeah, yeah. separated this from from elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like as you mentioned, Laura is is the the body washes up on the shore, and uh, Sheriff Harry Truman is called to the scene, and they basically start, you know, investigating this murder. Um, you know, finding out who her boyfriend is, you know, going to the school, you know, you kind of see this kind of development. And it's not until, as you mentioned, another girl, Ronette Pulaski, is found uh, walking half naked kind of in out of it. And she happened to have crossed state line. And that opens the door for the FBI to get involved. Right. And it, it's sort of a flimsy thing, yeah. right? Like, I mean, we could get the FBI involved in all kinds of things these days without having to have crossed state lines or True. whatever but but it was it was an interesting situation because it also it also showed that this is a this is a town on the border and and the first border is a state line border but we'll find out later of course that they they're also very close to Canada it's yep. referenced but they don't make a big deal out out of it it's referenced by agent cooper as he's driving along and we get to meet Diane in yep. the first episode uh the the Person we'll ne- never meet, or will we? We'll, we'll find out, I guess. Up to this point, we've never met. Yeah, so Agent Dale Cooper from the FBI is, is driving into Twin Peaks, and uh, he's he's talking to, and, and that's the thing. There's been a lot of speculation as to who Diane is and all this sort of stuff. I always assumed that it was somebody back at FBI headquarters, like his assistant or something like that. And yeah. he's speaking into a, um, a tape recorder, a hand tape recorder, which is, looks enormous, by the way. And, yeah. and which it's funny because you think about it because we think about the the differences in time, you know, and this is this is filmed in 1989, came out in 1990, you know, so an FBI agent would be speaking into a tape recorder to then mail back to his assistant to take notes in the file so that they could keep track of it. Yeah, every, there's there's no computers in this. Like yeah. everything's a Manila envelope, uh, file folder, and something like that. So so the the actual cassette recording, the the little dictaphone that he's using is high tech at 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 that point. Like this is this is something that he's able to use as high tech. I feel like Diane 
is a little bit Anakin Skywalker in that in that first episode, I think she was intended merely to be the person he was connected with back at the office. And maybe there'd be a, a camaraderie there that they could explore, but it was, I'm taking notes and I'm really quirky. So I note all these things about trees and where I ate and everything, because I just wanted you to have all the information for the notes. And then later Diane becomes a more a, a mystical figure. And I don't think that was intended at first. And I say Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, because I believe personally that George Lucas did not think they were both the same person at first and then later decided they were. <laughs> I've never heard the Diane as Anakin theory, which I appreciate there. Um, I, I mean, I just mean Diane as sure. as a character that was intended to be one thing. And then later they may have changed what that was. Well, yeah, because because in, in within the character of Diane or within that relationship between Cooper and the and the uh, tape recorder, who knows if he even said, I mean, I think later in the show they show him mailing it. So I think there is there is a Diane on the other end, but you get the opportunity to not only give exposition and give um, you know kind of uh, Cooper's thought process, but it also is an ex- it's a great inter- int- introduction to the character who yeah. you know one of the things that made Twin Peaks so uh, so you know loved and and so immediately remembered is Kyle MacLachlan playing Dale Cooper as this quirky weird FBI agent you know who's like yeah. who speaks very clearly and pe- plainly and and is observant and. You know, but is also you get the sense he's really good at his job and he's there. He's, you know, telling her how much his lunch was and he's going to send her the receipt. And that's, you know, like it just it's you get the sense that this is a this is a G man who knows his job and, and he's on the case. And he's fair, and, tough, if yep. eccentric. And and one of the things I love about it is that um, when he does arrive and he goes to the hospital and he, to there where Laura's body is held and he meets up with Sheriff Harry Truman. Um, who and it's it's gonna be hard to be like I'm gonna be like oh this is my favorite character this is my favorite character but I um I love Mon- Michael Antkeen as Har- Harry Truman uh, as the sheriff and there's a moment where Cooper stops him and he's like listen I want to you know this is uncomfortable I want to bring it up you know I will bring it up now you know when the bureau gets called in we're in charge you work for me a lot of people sometimes don't have a problem with that but I want to address it now and Sheriff Truman's like we're happy to have you and like that moment you get this great partnership. Yeah. You know, that really, well, think- and, 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 and that's the moment where Harry proves himself. And then you get a reciprocal moment when they're at staking out the, the roadhouse. Yep. And, and now I'm blanking on, I wish I'd written it down what Harry says, but there's that, that beautiful line where agent Cooper says, Harry, you're all right. And yeah. you're like, Oh, the team is cemented now. Yeah. It was when, uh, it was when they see, uh, the biker drive away with, with Donna and to take her to James and he goes, I suppose you, I suppose you want me to follow at a, at a slow pace, you know, like he said, he like, he anticipated what Cooper wanted and that's what he goes, Harry, yeah, right. a, yep. a, a reasonable discreet distance or yep. something like yeah, that. Exactly. Harry, yeah. you're all right. Yeah. And, and you, and this, and this partnership and this friendship eventually changes both their lives. And it's great to see that kind of happen on screen just in the, in this first episode. It's yeah. So, um, yeah. And another, uh, did you ever have the Diane book? No, the I way, didn't. I did have. I checked it out of the library. I never owned it. I own. I owned uh, Laura's secret diary, which we can of talk, course. we can talk about it on a later episode. That's a teaser for y'all. But uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't own the Diane book. What was that like? It was just a. It was just all the things he said to Diane in the show, plus other things that he said that. I mean, honestly, didn't give you any secrets or anything, but they were in character, so it was kind of fun to read that and. 
at, at this episode, the other thing, just one more thing about Diane that stuck out is at one point he says, Diane, give this to Albert, not, and I can't remember the other character's name. And yes, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, we're, we're already pointing towards Albert. Like yep. they, and obviously they, they had, are, they had written out the arc for all eight episodes, but there, it is very well put together. It's not sloppy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you, you expect that because these are, you know, Lynch has been making movies and so he's got yeah. some experience with this. Yeah, he's a filmmaker and he's able to plan this, but he also puts a challenge to himself because we have a lot of characters. Yes, and that and that's the thing. Again, you know, like the the murder being the main a, a plot, but it seems like every scene introduces another plot line. Um, and I, I took some notes. I try to want to keep track of it as they happened. But uh, so when at the beginning of the episode happening parallel to them discovering Laura's body is we're introduced to Benjamin Horn at the Great Northern Hotel who uh, works with Laura's father, Leland Palmer, and they are in the process of a real estate development deal for the Ghostwood Estates. And uh, they are they are building a the, the plans to have a huge, you know, kind of real estate development open up and they're looking for investors and they have a group of investors from Norway that they're close to closing the deal on. So the real estate deal, Ghostwood Estates, is one major plot line there. Right. Right. And 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 again, the beauty of the Lynch Frost thing is instead of like just a bunch of investors from out east, right. like they're from Norway. Yeah. And they're wacky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, then we're introduced to the, the scene changes over to the diner and we're introduced. We see Laura's boyfriend who's supposed to be a football practice. But no, he's waiting for Shelly, the waitress, to get off work so he can take her home because they're having an affair. Right. Um, okay. So yeah. <laughs> Bobby, who was Laura's boyfriend, and Laura possibly was cheating on Bobby yep. with James. Bobby was cheating on Laura with Shelly. Got it. Right. There you go. So, so then, <laughs> then we come at some point. We come back to the. Uh, well, we never come back to, but the the scene of the crime where Laura is found is on the shores of the Packard Sawmill. Which were then introduced to Josie Packard, who is a, uh, I believe, Chinese in a sense. She came from Hong Kong, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Chinese Hong Kong woman Chinese. who who was married to the guy who made the who basically made the town, who made the mill, and she now controls the business. But she's in direct conflict with his sister, Catherine Martell, uh, and so you've got a conflict there in terms of like the, this business conflict between Catherine Martell and Josie Packard. So but, Josie Packard, who was married to the guy who built the town. <laughs> Uh, is uh, at odds with her uh, sister-in-law, Catherine Martell, who's actually involved with um, uh, Benjamin Horn, who right. owns half the town. And Josie is also romantically involved with Sheriff Truman. Yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> and so then we go... It seems so much less complicated in my head. I know. We go back to the diner, where Shelly, the waitress's boss, Norma, the waitress, makes a phone call to Big Ed Hurley, who runs the gas station, who's the uncle of James. And Big Ed is married to a woman with one eye and an eye patch named Nadine. And turns out Big Ed and Norma are secretly in love. Okay, so Big Ed and Norma and... Nadine is Big Ed's wife. That's that's actually an easy one. Yeah, like, that's, that's a, just a that's just a triangle. That's a triangle. And then, as if it doesn't even as it, as it, you think that's not confusing, towards the end of the episode, when Donna, Laura's best friend, and James, her secret boyfriend, finally meet up to talk about Laura being dead and all this sort of stuff, and they've got to hide a necklace and all this sort of stuff, they start making out. 
Well, that's just that's just easy. Uh, Donna, mad at Mike, uh, is now hooking up with James, who can't be with Laura because she's dead. Yep. Oh, and the and how could I forget that Shelly, the waitress, we get introduced to her actual husband or boyfriend, uh, Leo, with the creepy ponytail, the trucker. Isn't it weird that Leo is like less scary to me? now than he was in the 90s in the 90s he was like oh i do not like that guy he was horrifying he was absolutely now he seems i don't know if he just seems younger or something but yeah, yeah. um so so yeah leo obviously keeping shelly uh under his thumb and shelly having to hide her affair with bobby who was supposed to be dating laura who's now dead uh <laughs> and don't forget audrey Yes. Well, we but we only get introduced to Audrey as Benjamin Horn's daughter, Audrey Horn, and she's really very brief. She's only in like two or three scenes. Yeah. She uh, just flirts with the Norwegians, basically. Yeah. Or, and she and she blows the real estate deal, basically, because she tells the Norwegians that her friend Laura had died, and so they got all up in arms and they storm out of the hotel. Um, and then Audrey's got a, a brother who has issues. We're kind of briefly introduced to that. That that's thrown. In, I forgot that was thrown into the pilot as well. The, the, I, I, I I've watched a lot of TV, Tom. And in these 90 minutes or 94 minutes of this pilot, there is so much introduced. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's and the thing is, is that they introduce it in such a natural way. And partially because like we're revisiting and I've watched it already, but watching it for the first time, I can't imagine keeping track of all this stuff. So. And everybody's connected to everybody else. Yeah. Like there's there you can you can draw the web and it would be very intricate because, you know, let's just pick um, Pete Martell. Yep. Right. He's the guy who finds Laura at the beginning. Like, oh, he's just Catherine's uh, husband. Yep. But Catherine has the issues with Josie, who ha- runs the mill, and Catherine is tied in to uh, the horns through cheating with Benjamin. And, and so it's like even him, like out on one end of one of these trees, yeah. leads into the depths of what is happening here. Yeah, and it's, and it's funny because – Again, the, you know, the Laura Palmer murder is the thing that made this so popular and got everybody interested and will be the through line throughout it. But really, in addition to all the romance ties, this is a is, is a real estate story uh, because the, the whole Benjamin Horn's Ghostwood Estates needs the Packard land. And so he's secretly working with Catherine to try to get Josie to sell the mill and to sell the land to him so he could build this real estate development. So much of the plot... Uh, the the things that push the plot forward through the first season are tied into this real estate deal, and it's it's fascinating to see how it ties back to the murder and gets intertwined at the same time. So, all right, that's a uh, <laughs> do we have do we have all of that covered then? I think so. I'm sorry, and anybody listening for the first time, if you've watched Twin Peaks, you know how crazy it is. But may, maybe yeah. maybe maybe I'll come up with some sort of uh, uh, visual for this that we can post up on the site or something. <laughs> We've got a little segment we're going to try out here uh, that I'm calling Diane. Note this, uh, where we we've we've noted a couple of moments. One of the ones I note is that, and this I, this strikes me every time I watch this pilot, the phone call to Harry from Pete Martell at the very beginning. Yep, it's all very smooth until at one point we stay on Harry in the sheriff's office. He says something, and then pauses. And then says another thing. And I always feel like he was pausing because another line was supposed to be in there. And either they they decided not to put in there or they missed it in the edit. Yeah. Because because the last line from Pete feels very definitive. And he yet he gives this pause of like, OK, I'll be out there soon. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know because like I don't know if that scene was improvised or because the edit because I'm the only improvised scene I'm aware of 
is later in the episode when they're when Cooper and Truman are with the coroner. And uh, do you remember where where the and when Cooper finds the the letter R under under yeah, Laura's fingernail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that scene, two things happened that weren't scripted. One was that the fluorescent lights started flickering. And David Lynch said, no, keep it. And so classic they Lynch, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So, let's just use it. Yeah. And so they have that. But then um, Cooper asked the coroner, coroner saying, can you step out for a moment? Can you, can you give us, you know, give us some privacy? And the actor misheard and thought he was asking his name and responds with, oh, Steve. And then Cooper Jeff. says again, he goes, Jeff. Yeah. or Jeff, what, yeah, he, goes, he goes, thank you. Can you give us a moment? You know, and it was just like this, it was a mistake, but it seems so natural that Lynch left it in. So, yeah. You know, well, and it's quirky, like yep. the stuff that he would write. Yeah, exactly. Also, all all props to Kyle MacLachlan uh, and Michael Antjean for just rolling with it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And just being like, oh, we're going to go stay a character. You're Jim now. Okay, great. That's your name. So, uh, so. So my note for for this episode was I noticed something that I'd never seen before uh, on the numerous times I've watched this pilot. Yeah, what was that? When they cut to the school, when it's morning at the high school, and Bobby just arrives and Donna's at her locker and everybody, it's before everyone knows that Laura's, Laura's dead. Um, there's a moment where Donna's opening her locker, Audrey's sneaking a cigarette at her locker, right? And they kind of yeah. smile to each other. They shut the door. Then it's a shot of the hallway and there's, I can only describe it as a fat nerd who shuts his locker, the bell rings, the fat nerd shuts his locker, and then does a dance move off screen. <laughs> and I, I rewound it and watched it again. Like, he kind of, like, he does this weird thing with his arms and, like, moonwalks down the hall. And I was just like, and I've never noticed that You know what? I remember seeing that before. I didn't notice it this time. That's yeah. so weird. So go back and look for that because yeah. that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was the, that was my moment where I was like, I never noticed that. So. The, the one thing that, that hit me this time that I'd never really fully realized was just how telling the scene with Leland is. Yes. Uh, so spoiler alert, if you're watching it for the first time somehow, um, he has never told Laura is dead. Right. The, the, All, that, and. And and every time I'd watched it up to now, it played to me as like, oh, sher- the sheriff just doesn't need to say because if the sheriff showed up and your wife's telling you Laura's not home, you just piece it together. But of course, look, looking at it last night, I was like, no, he he just he just already knows, so yep. he 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 kind of forgets to to wait to be asked. That's really that's a really interesting look, given what we find out later on in the show. Um, I always took that by he just kind of put two and two together. The fact that yeah, he, yeah. he gets the phone and call from his fair. wife saying that she's missing. And then at the same time, the sheriff shows up. Um, less from the plot development with Leland, but more from a macro view. One thing that really struck me on this viewing was the weight of the news of Laura dying in this town of 50,000 people. Um, it was probably the most raw, realistic, you know, just emotional you know, like moments of everyone finding out that this girl that everyone loved is no longer with them. Oh, um, the, the moment when, when you know Laura's dead yeah. and they cut to her mom calling for her to come downstairs and getting annoyed, yep. that gets me every time. Yeah, and for, from pretty much from that moment up until uh, the moment at school when Donna's crying at her desk and James breaks the pencil yeah. and all that stuff. Like that stuff was just really, really powerful. Although there, there's, there's two moments that take me out of it. One is the, the girl the, screaming. Agreed, agreed. Running through. I was like, that's a little much. And the other is when they're all consoling Donna later 
There's one girl who kind of looks like she really doesn't want to be consoling her. Because she's an extra and she's not really an actress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, just just look concerned. Just just keep patting her and look concerned. And she kind of looks down and looks up like, am I concerned enough? I'm trying to be concerned. Which, I mean, if you want to stay, if you don't want to break the magic of it, you could be like, maybe this girl doesn't really like Dada. And she's yeah. like, well, I guess I have to try to comfort her. <laughs> and it's funny because like the the, the whole show is balanced with really great acting performances and moments like you know like you know the, the, like the the mother screaming and all that sort of stuff and it's balanced with that or like towards the end of the episode when Donna and James are talking about you know they they need to hide the necklace uh, so nobody finds it, so that nobody thinks that James killed her. And James is like, we'll bury it right here. And then they do the worst bury job I've ever seen, where he just basically yeah. puts it in the dirt and then puts a rock on it. <laughs> I mean, it is no surprise when yeah. that that chain is taken as the yeah. last. Like, is that the last scene or something? Yeah, it's the, the, it's, scene it's the last yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but a uh, w- uh, couple other things is just one is that uh, there's the moment in the hospital when Cooper and Truman meet for the first time and Cooper asks uh, Truman, what kind of trees do you have up here? I love the smell of these trees. Um, and, Coop- and Truman says, oh, they're Douglas fir. From that moment on, I forced my family to buy a Douglas fir Christmas tree for at least is 15 that years. right? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, so just to talk about the impact, I was like, I've got to have Douglas fur. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to know if cheese eaters is actually an insult for Norwegians. I've, I've heard it used against people from Wisconsin and, and many of them are descended from Scandinavians. Yep. But, but Benjamin Horn calls, you know, let's get these cheese eaters referring to the Norwegians. I'm like, is that a thing? Does I, like, people it, ever... Is that is that a, is that a term for Norwegians? I don't know. Is it like, offensive? Yeah, like, I well, yes, I do enjoy a slice of cheese. Like, what's, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was a good one. Uh, and then, oh, the, the other thing that I noticed was the while Cooper and Truman were interrogating Bobby, Cooper decides that Bobby did not do it and communicates this to Truman via a calculator. Yeah, it's like a programmable calculator. Yes. Like that is super high tech for that time. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> at first I had forgotten. I'm like, okay, I know he gives him the message, but does he like write it upside down in numbers somehow? Like, but how would he Boob- do that? And I'm like, oh Boob- no, right. Boobless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that means he's innocent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's that's a funny segment. That same segment is actually one of my favorite Cooper moments where for the first time he just gives the crazy grin. Yep. Like out of nowhere because he's mad. Yep. And that's where he's like, Bobby, let me tell you how this works. And it's like, oh, he's coming down on him. But he's like grinning like a madman. It's like, okay, this guy's a little unhinged. And so then the last uh, observation I have, the thing to note, which you probably know about, but those of us, uh, those folks listening who might not be aware, in the last scene when we see the the person with the flashlight find the necklace that is running in parallel to Laura's mother freaking out, having a vision. Um, And if you look in the upper right-hand corner of the shot, uh, when she gets up from the couch in the mirror, uh, the character who we'll later find out is Bob is his reflection is in the mirror. Yeah. And, and that is the, that is the classic Twin Peaks lore in that, the guy who plays Bob, Frank Silva, was a set decorator, and he was not supposed to be in the reflection. He was standing behind the camera, 
and Lynch saw it and loved it and cast him as Bob. Or th- and became Bob. And then became Bob for the movie that was released in Europe, right? Yep. Like yep. He, yeah. that was that was a catapult to stardom for yep. him. Although yep. I don't think he ever played anything else of yep. note. But it's but that's the kind of thing that I heard about, but back in the day I missed it and we didn't if you didn't record it, you didn't have it and you couldn't get your yeah. hands on the pilot and then and then this scene isn't in the international version of the movie. So it wasn't until the DVD came out again where I could confirm like, oh my God, yeah, he's totally there. So uh, Right. The scene that brings him into the role that he is in in the European movie isn't in the European movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, All right. Cool. Uh well We are going to be taking your feedback. We'll call this our town hall segment in honor of small towns. Uh, Feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. But as this is our first episode, Ron, did we get any feedback at all? Uh, We actually did get a preemptive email in. Uh, I'll read it here. Uh, It says, hey, guys, uh, loved your first show, which I listened to in the lodge before you recorded it. Backwards. It still was awesome. I wonder how you're going to deal with all the donuts people send you after episode four. Anyway, good luck continuing the great job. I know you did. Look forward to the rest of the cool new episodes after David Lynch has already aired the new episodes, which are old to me. Signed, The Log Lady. <laughs> I I feel unstuck in time just hearing that I email. Do, I do, I do. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to travel through time, mentally or physically. Just send us an email, feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. And, uh, yeah, and, and one last thing, and that reminds me by getting an email from the log ladies that we do see the log lady, um, but very briefly in the, in the, in the show. And, oh, right. and that remind reminds me of something that I should have said earlier is that what struck me about this pilot is how normal it was. Yeah. And Twin Peaks is something that's remembered to be weird and out there and all this stuff like that. And you barely get a hint of that in this episode so i mean it is not normal for the time right like having that log lady moment was the weirdest people are like what is that why are they saying that why are there all these donuts you know who's jim like there were so many things that were weird then that just like you're, you're absolutely right do not strike you as that odd yeah now. and i don't know if it's because i've watched it so many times or i know it so well or if it was, I, I wonder if Twin Peaks was unique at the time in 1990 in the same way that Mr. Robot is unique to us now in 2016, sure. in that it was a different style of storytelling. It's a different style of, of you know, all this sort of stuff. And it's just this new and fresh thing. So I don't and know. And so, a lot of shows and movies emulated it afterwards, making a lot of that weirdness common. Yeah. So. So there's a, there's a, there's one last little thought before we wrap up here. So well, thank you folks uh, for joining us. I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, we are going to continue watching Twin Peaks and sharing our thoughts with you. Please share your thoughts with us. As we mentioned, feedback at damnfinepodcast.com. And of course, you could find links to the shows and all that good stuff at that website, damnfinepodcast.com. All right. So until next time, uh, enjoy a cup of coffee there, Tom. Yeah. Do yourself well. We'll get to that next time. <laughs>